At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's federal season. Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast. It's federal season. I'm Giannis Patelis of Meat Eater, and today I am hosting my second episode of It's Federal Season, along with special guest, Sean Weaver. Brian Kelvington has dubbed him Meat Eater's Duck Dynamo. I don't even know exactly what dynamo means, Sean, but can you uh, give me a little bit? Um, a little short introduction and tell me why you would be Meat Eater's Duck Dynamo? Well, I don't exactly know what a dynamo is, but I like it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the reason I would be Meat Eater's Duck Dynamo is that while you guys are all chasing big game, I'm chasing ducks the whole time. Yeah, Pretty you much. used to have a counterpart that also did exactly that. Um, his name's Max Barda, but he has recently mm-hmm. killed an antelope. And I told him he ought to be careful with that because he, he, you were going to uh, kick him out of the duck club. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, now he's he's venturing into new grounds. And can't believe Max gave up premium duck hunting time. Go shoot a <laughs> That's right. Fills and he's even, he's even got a premium duck hunting dog. Oh, yeah, like a hunt test dog that he put in hundreds of hours into. Yep. But but Max th- is more a goose guy anyway, right? Like, he, he really likes that late season honker stuff. Oh, well, maybe I should call him into this room and uh, <laughs> let you off the hook, and he can talk about late season. Because that's specifically what we're going to talk about, because th- it's uh, December 8th, I believe is uh, what day's the day that this uh, episode is first available. And uh, so, yeah, would you say that that already counts as late season ducks, Sean? For sure. I mean, it depends where you're at, right? A guy in Louisiana or Texas might not quite call that late season. He might call call that more like his mid-season. But for most of the country, that's the late season, especially us in, you know, Montana, the Dakotas, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but at that even point, though it's right? even though it's late season, it could be some of the best season, right? Yeah, I mean, ultimately you're catching birds moving into their wintering grounds, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, in Montana, it might be birds using rivers and hot springs. Farther south, places like Texas, Louisiana, even California, um, you know, over to the east, it'd be maybe Georgia or North Carolina. Ultimately, at that time of year, that first week of December, you're catching birds moving into their wintering grounds where they're going to spend the next month and a half, two months. Yeah. Yeah. So I would call it late season because you're hunting wintering waterfowl, right? Got it. All right. Before we get into the real nitty gritty of this podcast, I just want to set it up a little bit. Even though Sean lost a buddy to like maybe two or three days of antelope hunting, 
and, and Max maybe becoming a little bit more of a generalist uh, like Stephen Rennell and myself, uh, this just shows you that Sean Weaver is nothing uh, of such. Sean Weaver is uh, specifically a waterfowler uh, to, to the core. Um, his, his skeleton is actually made of feathers. Um, but hold on. Are you now, I didn't know that you guys like kind of split the group of waterfowlers up between ducks and geese. So are you going to say you lean more towards one towards the other, or, or are you just a waterfowler or are you a waterfowler, but really a duck guy? Yeah, I would, you do split it. I would say I'm a waterfowler because I do like hunting geese and I do like especially hunting snow geese. But ultimately if I had only like one waterfowl to kill to hunt the rest of my life, it was it would be a duck. It would not be a goose. And Max would pick he would pick geese. I, I do think most waterfowlers like categorize themselves into they're a duck guy or a goose guy. A lot of that's just the hunting is so different, right? If you um if you're hunting ducks, how you your spreads, your locations are just much different than say, you know, a cornfield for geese, mm-hmm, pit blind mm-hmm. hunting type type hunting. Well, unfortunately, this is not like a ten volume podcast on waterfowling. So <laughs> I, I I think since you've identified yourself as a ducker, we should we should stay the course there and do that. And yep. are you listening? Those of you listening at home. If you're thinking like, why is Giannis asking such elemental questions about duck hunting? It's because I am truly a beginner. Um, I've shot a few ducks in my days. Uh, I actually went duck hunt with Sean. Uh, was that last year? Or was it already two years ago? No, that was last year. That was just la- la- yeah. last fall. We hunted uh, the um, sand hills of Nebraska for, uh, for, for ducks. And it was an awesome hunt. I even managed to kill a few. Actually, I killed like a whole bunch of stuff that I had never killed before. I had got like my first pintail Drake, redhead Drake. What else was there? Canvas back. You shot your canvas first canvas back. back. Yeah, man. We, we had, we had like a little bit of everything. Anyways, I like doing it, mm-hmm. but I like doing it. A big reason I like doing it is because I love to eat ducks. Now, is that for you guys that either choose to be duckers or goosers? Is the, does the edibility of the either of the two um, make that decision? That's fair. I would say that's a good question. I would say that there are duck hunters who choose to be duck hunters because of eating duck, but I would not say there's goose hunters who choose to be goose hunters to eat goose. Right. Like duck is definitely the superior meat, especially if you're talking duck versus uh, Canada goose. Now, snow goose is pretty there's a there's a misnomer overall. I think people like to talk bad on snow geese just because like there's so many of them. They're so heavily populated. Uh, But if I cook snow goose and duck side by side. Pretty close, pretty close. Snow goose is pretty dang good. I, I I'd say it's better than Canada goose. Yeah, I don't have enough experience to say one way or another there, but I, I do agree that people like to just talk down on game in general. A lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's because their daddy told them so, and they didn't they didn't have the uh, you know wherewithal or the balls to go and try it themselves and to make sure someone cooked it right for them. But I also think with the ducks and the geese. 
like I know it takes a lot of effort to quarter up an elk and pack it out and then butcher it at home, but like every duck takes 10 or 15 minutes of your time. And when you drop seven or whatever the limit is, um, you know, you got a pile of work on your hands to, to, you know, get them ready for the freezer. Um, and I think that people like to shirk that work by saying, uh, they're not even worth eating. Yeah, that's totally fair, especially the plucking, right? Plucking was something that kind of got lost with a generation of hunters, I'd say. I don't know exactly why, but most people, not to generalize all duck and goose hunters, but I would say probably at least 90%, if I was going to throw a number out there, 90% don't pluck their birds. They breast them, which is fine, but ultimately like that skin and that fat, that's what you're there for. That's the, that's why market hunting existed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the, yeah, man. Uh, we we don't need to the, beat this topic to bite. That's right. We don't need to beat it to death. But I'll tell you that my girls have two favorite meals right now at our house. One is the heart of any big game animal, mm-hmm. and two are mallard breasts with the skin on, hopefully with the little leg attached, and you know simply cooked into cast iron skillet, get that, you know, skin crispy. Um, they don't get yet. They're not old enough yet to enjoy a glass of nice red wine with that. But for me, I just feel like a dang caveman in heaven or just like a King at his giant table. I've got like grease all over my fingers and like, I got like a grease ring around my lips and I'm sitting there drinking some nice, heavy red wine, like absolute like foodie bliss for me and how anybody could ever, you know, throw ducks into a, uh, a dumpster or, uh, you know, try to waste them is beyond me. All right. Enough talk about, uh, eating ducks. Let's talk about how to kill ducks in the late season. Yep. Um, which I think I'll, I'll remind you all <laughs> that if you kill them in the late season, they're going to have even more fat on, um, on them and, uh, be even tastier than if you kill them in the early season. Um, but, uh, Tell me, like, to, I guess to start off, we know it's late season. They're, you're hunting them in their wintering grounds. What would you say is, like, the biggest difference between, say, hunting them in October and then the, the late season starting in December? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say a lot of the time that September, October, November range, even maybe the very first week of December, two weeks, you're still catching ducks on their way to places. So you're catching migratory birds. You're catching birds coming into a lake or flooded timber or a rice field. They're new birds. They haven't seen your decoys spread. They haven't adjusted to the area. They don't know what's safe or not safe yet. But as that winter expands and like the longer those birds spend in an area, the more they get it dialed. They figure out the cornfield that is a farmer that doesn't allow hunting. They figure out where the refuge is in flooded timber. They figure out where the refuge is in a bunch of rice fields. You know, what have you, right? They find those safety zones. And as they do, that's when it gets so much harder to kill them. That's when it's just so much harder to get on those fresh birds with fresh eyes. Or even if it's not a problem of them finding a place they're safe, Right? They just see the same decoy spreads in the same places over and over. They get, they get really stubborn and wary. And so overall, wintering birds, 
like it's a it's a sometimes it can be a harder ask but like higher reward right if you find how to kill them okay so let's break that down first how then do you tackle the problem that the birds are wanting to hang out where there is no hunting like are are you pounding on doors to get access to that or how do you how do you get around that I think doing anything outside of the norm, outside of what the routine of hunters is, is uh, always an easy, instant benefit. For I'll give an example. Last year, we're in Arkansas, and we we hunt the morning in public timber. And there's a hard stop at noon. You have to be off the public timber, quitting hunting by noon. About 11.58, this is no joke. About 11.58, all of a sudden those ducks that have spent all morning on this refuge start lifting up and filtering back into the timber. And by 12.10, 12.15, that timber is coated in mallards. It's a constant wave of ducks coming into those trees. They knew when they the hunters were gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, overall, like, what's kind of the typical example of, of duck hunters? Everywhere you go, they... It's Saturday morning and Sunday morning, and they go hunt from shooting light till 9.30, 10 a.m., maybe even 11, but then ultimately they leave, and they go about their Saturday honeydews, or they go to a college football game, or what have you, and uh, they leave, like, that middle of the day, or they leave the evening hunt, or whatever it is that those ducks find when they can be safe, and so... Um, I think just being outside the norm, right? Trying to hunt from 10 to 2 or, you know, maybe hunt a, a part of your property you haven't hunted yet or um, even like setting up between maybe two refuges where, oh, the birds haven't seen anyone hunt that spot or run traffic in that spot is what we would call it. Like, like just trying to be out of the box is for sure to me, like the, the number one way to get on those stale, stubborn birds that are in a group. Okay. You mentioned too, that they've seen a bu- the same decoy spreads over and over and over. So elaborate a little bit on that. How, how are you going to adjust your decoy spread so that it's not the same thing that they've, they've seen for the last 60 days? Yeah, that's a good one. I'll use an example of goose hunting um, in Iowa way back when. We we were on late season birds, December, birds are super stale, weather is warm, and kind of everyone in the area was setting the same cornfield goose spread, right? Eight dozen, ten dozen goose full bodies, layout blinds. It was It was kind of just the same thing. Everyone was trying to do the same hunt. And we went out of the box. We set, Holly, I don't know what it ended up being, but it was almost 500 goose decoys that day. With, and we hid in a ditch, like a drain tile ditch that where runoff had cut a hole out. And so we were kind of almost in the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were below ground level where water just flushed out a little creek in this field pretty much. And, oh, it was just, I mean, it was, it was lights out hunting. And it wasn't that we had better decoys or, um, 
you know, we were, we were hiding in a pretty much a black dirt field, but it was, we had, uh, you know, we had a such bigger spread and a, such a different hide than they'd seen. Honestly, it was, it was like one of the easiest hunts ever. Uh, similarly, I've also had hunts where you don't put out any decoys and you resort to just maybe a spinning wing decoy or just calling or kicking the water in the timber. It's something those guys do a lot where it's, it's just another thing that's different than the same few dozen decoys you know, that I would say like the typical duck spread is six dozen decoys and a spinning wing decoy. It's like, well, mm-hmm. they see that everywhere they go. We're switching up uh, tactics a little bit, right? And, and it sounds like the, the takeaway is to think out of the box and just do something absolutely different than, than everybody's been doing and then everybody else is still doing at that time. I think what some people don't think about as often, and I definitely didn't until I was talking to you, but it's also about how you need to change up your shotgun setup for late season birds. And I know that you're a proponent. I think you even have like a catchy phrase for it. And I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but something along the lines of like shoot tight. So you, you either obliterate them or you miss them. And, and that, and meaning that you use like a tight choke. Can you, can you expand on that? Totally. Uh, it's the aim small, miss small mentality for me where I would rather cleanly miss a bird or cleanly kill a bird rather than be in that middle ground of getting maybe one or two pellets in a bird. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a lot of studies that have been done to show, you know, it's, it's shaky for sure, the data, but anywhere from on the low end, 15% to on the high end, 40% wounder, wounded hunt lo- or hunter wound loss in, in waterfowl. <clears throat> Just to clearly define that, hunter wound loss that's birds that are shot at probably wounded probably gonna die but not recovered by the hunter right so for example if we kill 10 million birds um in the united states or in the continent a year the estimates would be anywhere from then 1.5 to 4 million go wounded and die somewhere else and Right. And that, to me, a huge part of that is that, like, guys are more willing to, they just want to make sure they hit a bird. But to me, that's the wrong mentality, right? I would rather have the mentality of, like, shoot a tight, nice pattern, a good, dense pattern, so that I'm either smoking that bird and going home with that bird in hand or missing clean, and I know that bird is flying away fine. Um, cause there's, you know, you, you see it a lot, that sneaky bird where you shoot at it, you don't think you hit it. Uh, especially if you're shooting a wide choke, right? Like an improved cylinder choke. Um, you'll see that that bird fly away acting fine. But if you watch it long enough, 200, 300 yards out, all of a sudden, boom, it falls. And uh, yeah, they kind of look like they're, they're kind of look like they're sailing almost or like coasting and they're just dropping elevation, yep. dropping elevation, and then finally you're like, you know that bird when he landed, it didn't look like he landed like it normally would. <laughs> right, that was a big splash when that bird landed. Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm a big. That's why I'm a big 
proponent, like I'm a big advocate for shooting a tight choke and a tight pattern. And then ultimately part of that can be shooting a, a tight wad as well. Okay, well, let, let's break it down. What, what is a, a tight choke? Okay, so there's different kinds of chokes. There's constriction chokes and there's wad stripping chokes. Depending on the shell you shoot, um, changes what choke you use. But ultimately, right, there's all these aftermarket choke options now. Okay, um, well, all of us here shoot uh, Federal's Black Cloud or Federal's Bismuth line, right? So could you use the same right. choke for that, for both of those? Right, correct. Yep, and so... Um, for example, there's a choke specifically designed and made for shooting Federal Black Cloud. And that's going to be a tighter choke. Uh, like on top, in, it's going to be a tighter choke than your stock improved cylinder. And it's been patterned and designed with the load you're shooting, the Federal Black Cloud. For the federal but is it is it similar to in constriction to an improved cylinder or would it more be like a uh i don't know modified or something i would personally advocate for shooting the tightest constriction you're comfortable with and that you'll practice with for me i shoot a long range um carlson black cloud tube that would be almost like shooting a full not oh quite, really but like mm-hmm yeah, it's it's the safest choke that you can shoot steel through. Uh, that's like a it's pretty much a steel full. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so mega. I thought you were gonna say like everything, but not a full. But you're saying like if if you can shoot, you ought to be shooting a full choke. Yeah, I mean, some people just might not spend enough time behind the gun to shoot that right. But mm -hmm. overall, I would say shoot the tightest pattern that you can make yourself be comfortable shooting another like benefit you see with that right is when you end up with a bird in your decoys on the water that is wounded and i've seen it happen just way too many times where that bird looks real unhealthy looks like it's gonna you know die right there but then the dog goes out to get it and that bird dives and it's gone forever no one ever sees it again you have a real nice tight choke. Like you can thread that needle through your decoys and put a water swat on that bird, and that bird's in hand just way that much easier. Um, but to get back to the choke and the wad system, right? Shoot the tightest choke that you can, like that you're comfortable with for your shooting ability. Mm -hmm. Practice with it. Practice with it in the summer. That like it, it sounds dorky. But put that tight choke in when you're going to the range in the summer. Shoot sporting clays. Shoot clays coming at you, right? Rather than just like the low flyer pheasant getting up. Um, practice that real world duck hunting uh, environment. Don't go shoot a real loose skeet choke and then expect yourself to be really good with a modified or full come hunting. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But so... Talk to me more about the the choke wad combo. You're saying you you shoot one right. that's made specifically for Federal's Black Cloud, but I don't think any of the chokes that I've ever used shooting Black Cloud were specific Black Cloud chokes. So are they are they all like? Can you shoot 
Black Cloud with any choke, but just some will work better? Or is there are there some chokes that you don't want to use when you're shooting Black Cloud? Yeah, so this is a great conversation to get into because Black Cloud has what's called the flight control wad in it. Originally, that wad in its in its first rendition, you couldn't shoot through a wad stripping choke. So there are certain chokes you couldn't shoot it through. Now, Black Cloud and the Bismuth have this 2.0 wad. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be shot through these wad stripping chokes. It can be, it can be shot safely through all chokes. And so, um, granted, like the Black Cloud version wad or version choke, has like been designed and patterned for shooting that specific load. But ultimately, you go pick up any aftermarket tight tube. Um, you know, you can run Federal Black Cloud through it now. To talk specifically about that wad, that is, I've been shooting Black Cloud since 2014, and that wad is the reason, like very specifically for me, is I want when that, when those BBs come out the end of that barrel, I want it to be a super tight, dense shot string. Traditional wads open up from the front, right? And they open like a yep, like a leaf, or they open like a bullet, frankly. Yeah, but, a bullet uh, that's encountered something that's peeling back, right? Yeah. Right. But that flight control wad opens like this, and so it pulls back almost like a, like a parachute behind a drag car is how it would, like, look in your head. Mm-hmm. And so instead of having this motion with the BBs, where it sprays and opens you have instead just that wad getting pulled away from the bbs and almost it's like throwing a knuckleball with those bbs right they just continue in this clump forward and you notice when you are finishing ducks on the water right if you have a if you have a cripple in the decoys and you go to finish that bird with a tight choke and black cloud or the bismuth you have this just incredibly tight, cohesive unit of BBs on that bird. And you don't have all these flyers. You don't have like this super long shot string that seems to run forever. Um, you don't feel like you're shooting all your decoys. <laughs> like you just have this nice, clean, uh, you know, you have this clean area of like, this is going to kill something. Anything outside of this, you know, is going to fly away safe. Um, and it, it, ju- it just makes you feel better about, like, when you're shooting at birds. If you're, if you're shooting a nice tight choke and a uh, flight control wad and dense BB pattern, let's say, like, in Bismuth, the four shot, right? You know that if that bird, if you shot clean on that bird, like, you were on target, that bird is going to fall dead with a tight choke, tight wad, and, you know, dense pattern with the right shot size. Um, and so if, if you don't see that bird fall, like, you know that bird is flying away because you missed. Mm-hmm. There's none of this, like, this weird uh, middle ground of, like, oh, I swear I hit that bird. Oh, I, 
you know, I must have hit that bird. I don't know how that bird's still flying. Like that kind of goes out the window. All that, all that, like weird mental area. Well, you're going to see me missing a lot more birds this year, Sean, because I'm going to switch it up and go to a tighter choke because I don't even know if I was shooting an improved cylinder. I was probably just shooting a cylinder and I felt like I hit every duck that flew by me. <laughs> and I probably did and I probably had yeah. a, a lot of uh a lot of lost ones, but uh I'm going to I'm going to up my game uh for this year. Oh, we're going to we're going to hunt together. Yeah. Uh or we probably actually when this airs we're going to have just finished hunting. So uh yeah, I'm gonna go ahead we'll and tell you now. I shot really dogs. well. I shot really well with those uh, tighter chokes. All right, so <laughs> when you covered chokes, I never knew that a wad can make so so much difference in uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, in how the pattern behaves. But what about the shot itself? Are you adjusting that at all going from uh, early mid to the late season, like the shot size I or am. what the shot is made out of? I am, but not a ton, right? So, uh, and this this is kind of more out of, for me, just simplicity of what I, what I order, right? Knowing, like, mm-hmm. not always scrounge around for where's a box of sixes or where's a box of triple Bs. Like, I, I'm, I don't want to really have this super wide range. If people want to do their own research on, shot size and what's the appropriate shot sizes for the appropriate birds at certain distances, I would encourage everyone to look up Tom Roster, T-O-M-R-O-S-T-E-R. This guy has done more research on shot size and lethality with steel shot than any other person. Um, Stuff's great. So I shoot the bismuth for geese. Um, because you can shoot that kind of a, a smaller pellet size, but still get the additional density and energy carrying in that pellet than, than steel. For example, um, I don't know how the exact numbers work, but let's say you're shooting three-shot bismuth might be the equivalent of shooting one-shot steel. So you you get that tighter density of pattern, right? There's more pellets there, but still that equivalent killing power. Um, personally, I've only been shooting the bismuth like for geese. Uh, like I like shooting the bismuth for geese. For for ducks, I'm shooting the black cloud most of the time. And I pretty much am always shooting the twos or the threes. Um, for early season, I'll shoot... Yeah, for for... For early season, I'll shoot fours, right, on teal and wood ducks. Um, but ultimately, I get through most my season. Um, I get through most my season shooting the three-inch bismuth number threes and then the three-inch black cloud number twos and threes. Uh, that, that covers most my year. A little bit of number fours for earlier in the year. But but you can really cover everything from October all the way through January uh, with those with those loads. I will say that I try to shoot the same speed shells most of the year. I'm not switching from 
lead on pheasants that's real slow at, you know, let's say 1300 feet per second, and then shooting some like super high velocity, uh, 1600 feet per second load on snow geese. I'm trying to keep it pretty simple. So I always know what my leads are like, always know kind of where I'm missing, where I'm shooting that, that 1450 feet per second that you have in the bismuth. And, uh, if it's not 1450, it's really close on the black cloud, one and one quarter load, it's like very in the same ballpark, but that's the same speed load. Uh, I like the simple approach to that because I feel like anytime the, the two or three duck hunts and, and upland bird hunts I do a year, it's a thing. Every time I go into like where I store my ammo, I'm like, ah, what am I supposed to have? Oh, I think it's sixes. Oh, I don't have those. I wonder if I can shoot fours. Better call Sean and see if I can shoot fours, you know? And it's nice to know that I can just have one. And uh, especially if you're shooting steel, uh, you could go anywhere and hunt anything and be legal. Uh, which is another big thing is, you know, there's nothing worse than all of a sudden seeing some pheasants nearby or hunting pheasants and seeing some ducks nearby and not being able to go shoot them because, you know, you have lead on you or you don't have steel on you. Yeah. And that's the, that's the beauty of like all this non-toxic shot technology development, right? The bismuths and the tungstens, like knowing that you're legal regardless. Um, but yeah, I mean, Three inch three black cloud steel, man, you can you can do a lot of damage for most of your year with that load. I mean that everything from you know October ducks all the way through January. If you're decoying them right and shooting a nice tight pattern and choke, like it's hard to argue with. All right, what else you got? Anything else you got that you feel like the a uh, like a hot tip? for the uh, late season duck hunter that we didn't cover off on? Uh, yeah. Get away from your decoys. Like, be willing to step back a little bit and, like, make sure you're far enough away that you're hid. Uh, I would much rather shoot at a nice, like, tight decoy duck hovering over the decoys, but that shot might be 35 yards, rather than be too close to my decoys and be flaring birds and shooting at birds going away, Right. That longer shot at 35, 40 yards, if that bird is feet down hovering, that's just a cleaner shot and an easier shot uh, regardless, no matter what. Sure, we all love to have them at that 10, 15 yards, you know, right in our face, but sometimes that's just not going to happen, especially with late season, stale, wintering ducks. So be willing to get away from the decoy spread. I like it because, yeah, I've been there plenty of times to see them flaring, and I feel like when they flare, uh, my hit ratio goes way down. Right. And even if your hit ratio is not going way down, it's like because you might be just sneaking in the old Texas heart shot as it's flying away, you know? That's where (laughs) that wound loss can come from. All right. Well, uh, Sean, thank you for joining me, and uh, that's going to wrap up this episode of It's Federal Season podcast. That was Sean Weaver from Meat Eater. And you can check out Sean's show on the Meat Eater YouTube channel called Duck Lore. I'm going to be in another one uh, this upcoming season. We're going to go hunt uh, a unknown, undisclosed location in Montana. As the new year begins, there's some changes coming to the It's Federal Season podcast. 
Federal will have great guests to continue the entertaining and informative content and will add some audience participation where we ask you to send us questions on ammunition you want answered. Have a great holiday season, and we'll be back in the new year for more. It's federal season. And if you haven't figured it out yet, Dynamo is a extremely enthusiastic person. So good job, Sean. You fit the bill. It's a season with no beginning or end. With bonds so strong, not weather or age. Or thousands of miles keep us from it. Our love for it is as varied as those who are addicted to its pursuit. A connection with the outdoors. With family and your best friend. We plan with anticipation. We prepare and wait in silence. With tired legs and cold hands, we push on. All in hopes of hearing a call that shatters the calm to see the approach of thundering skies and experience the instantaneous rush. For whatever your reason, this is our season.